All right. Okay. Rachel's back. Bing, bang, boom. Ready, ready. Okay. So I was going to play you this, Rachel, because I just thought this was, this was not a thing that I uh, went out of my way to do, but I was, I was reading the book last night and, um, and then my daughter, Una, who's five came in and, and then I'll play you what she said. Book that I'm reading. What's can you read me the name of it? It's called I Want to Be <laughs> Where the Normal pe- People Are, and the author's by Rachel Bling. That's right, it's a really good book. It's the book dad's reading. Good job. I'm interviewing her for the radio show. Okay, I'll cut that out. Hey everybody, it's Mike. We are back with a new episode. Our first new episode of 2021. Working it out. Thanks for joining us. We are joined today in moments by the great Rachel Bloom. The uh, the book that my daughter Una and I were referencing is her hilarious book that just came out called I Want to Be Where the Normal People Are. It's a collection of humorous essays and poems, uh, collected childhood <laughs> remnants and uh, and things. It's a, it's a riot. She's a, if you don't know Rachel, she's the co-creator and star of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is unlike any show I've ever seen. It is a musical comedy TV series, originally aired on The CW. Currently, you can binge it on Netflix, which I could not recommend more. It is so silly and smart and outrageous. And uh, and and yeah, so, so do that. Pick up this book. This is a great uh, conversation. This is unlike any episode we've had. And we start uh, by talking about a momentous thing that happened for her in 2020, which is the birth of her daughter. Enjoy my chat with the great Rachel Bloom. That's what you have in store, by the way, because you have a young you have a young child right now. I'm so excited. I every day her personality is starting to 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 like blossom more and more and more. Um Especially, you know, those first three months are what a nightmare for everyone involved. <laughs> what a nightmare for everyone involved. By the way, this is a perfect, uh, perfect lead into the last time we saw each other was when I did perform the new one yep. in Los Angeles. And then you and me and Jen and your husband, Dan, went to breakfast and we talked about precisely this. Yeah. And I'm really glad that, look, nothing prepares you for it. And I, and I, think numerous times when it was happening, he and I both said to each other, like, no one told us it was this hard, (laughs) but you tried to, and other people definitely tried to. And I think what I didn't realize was, um, for that first, especially like month, like they don't want to be here. Yeah. They're like, why have you done this to me? Why have you willed me into existence? Yes. This world is, is cold and confusing. Yes. yes. And you're like, I know. I'm really really sorry <laughs> that I inflicted this upon you. But now it's like now she's like a baby baby. 
and she loves life and she laughs all the time. And it's like, oh, great. You're welcome. Oh, my gosh. That's wonderful. And then, like, I find, I found, obviously, you know, the show in the book is like the first, for me, the first year was really, really hard. And then every year after that, just, it feel like just gets better and better. And then I apparently, like, they start to hate you around 10 or 11. And uh, and then it goes downhill from there. And then uphill when, you, when you're super old, if you're lucky enough to be super old. I'm actually really glad that we did as much preparation as we could because it, 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 it was the least we could do. If you told us, oh, and there's going to be a pandemic and, and like oh you're going to know people who die, I think <sighs> definitely, definitely Dan would have... Um, died like like his head would have exploded and he would have like collapsed on the spot we wrote you an email after that breakfast me and jen recapping our advice about parenting because <laughs> you were pregnant yeah. and it was a email yourself little pieces of writing about the experience oh god right you know jen wrote poetry and she emailed it to herself just little snippets b and b is uh make a one sheet of 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 ways that your parents can be helpful because so often relatives think they're being helpful but they're not. It was so great and so lovely and cuz I feel like you're also from seeing your show but then obviously talking to you at that breakfast like what you feared and were hopeful about with parenting were very similar to how we felt at the time. Um and so you seeing you on the other end of it like oh okay they're doing great. <laughs> they love their child. <laughs> All seems to be. Sure. And, you know, we both have daughters. Like, that was, like, really, really comforting. But it's funny the, you know, tell your family what they can do. And um, and we had also talked about, like, keeping visitors to a minimum in, in the first couple days. Like, that ended up kind of being moot just because of COVID. I gave birth. Oh, my gosh. Wow. It just wasn't. So so not only were visitors. So I couldn't have even. I had like a doula. The doula couldn't come to the hospital room. No one could come to the hospital. And my daughter was in the NICU. And we left the hospital. And she was still in the NICU for a couple of days. Oh and gosh. and uh, Gregor, I called Dan Gregor. His name's Dan Gregor. I call him Gregor. Gregor <sighs> couldn't even come back and see her. He was banned no. from the hospital, yeah, because no. of COVID. Yeah, yeah. So he couldn't. He didn't see her for three days, like period. That is a horror movie. It was. It was really, really hard and really awful. And then we didn't know who had the virus and how it spread. There was no testing, so no one came to see us. And actually, I was supposed to have some. I was what to, wait, was this? Yeah. In, was this? In, I'm sorry. Was this in April? No, this is late March. Okay. And it was just as New York was getting really bad. So wow. stuff was really, really scary. And then, you know, the night I gave birth, I found out that my songwriting partner, Adam, was on a ventilator in oh New York with gosh. COVID. So so my daughter was on a ventilator because she was born with too much fluid in her lugs. And then, like, <sighs> I find out that night he's also on a ventilator. It was It was so scary and surreal because I was already terrified of COVID. But suddenly this thing that I'm already scared of in kind of an existential way is, like, directly affecting someone I know. The, I did not, I mean, I knew Adam Schlesinger passed and it's, it was so sad, but the idea that that intersected with your daughter's birth and being in NICU is, I mean, I can't even imagine how, how hard that was. It was really hard. It was, it was definitely the most, cause then he died a week later, 
Um, and she had just come home from the NICU. Oh my god! And then it was like randomly my birthday, which is a weird fucking birthday to have. And actually the silver lining was that while she was there getting better, we didn't know how COVID spread. My psychiatrist had said like sanitize everything. So we spent the next day or two literally just sanitizing everything. We were, we were outside on our hands and knees, Clorox wiping down everything that had been in the hospital with us because we just had yeah. we, we didn't know we didn't know like where what the virus lived on or or whatever um yeah and yeah. so it was it was like really and then i would go see her in the hospital and then i would come home i would strip down in the front yard and I would run into the shower. I and I was doing the same thing at the same time, except I didn't have a newborn child. Right. Um, I want to compliment something about your book, which is like, your book is incredible. And I'm reading the book, and I'm having this thing of like, I I think I was introduced to you first when you were a guest on Script Notes podcast years ago. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I love this person's comedic voice. And then I watched Crazy Ex Girlfriend. I'm like, I love this. And now I'm reading your book and 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 I love all of them in and I'm realizing as I'm reading it, like I love them in the same way. It's almost like they were written by the same person. <laughs> and I think it's like I feel like we must have uh, some kind of artistic DNA in common because when I read your book, I'm like, I just like do check marks down the page of like, I love this, I love this, I love this because it's so raw. Oh, thank you. But I'm curious, like, why do you feel comfortable exposing yourself to your readers and viewers all the time about things that most people are just uncomfortable talking about? Um, It's been a slow process, but I think as I do it more and more, I don't see the downside. I think the the key thing is is that there's nothing I share publicly that I haven't, like, processed inwardly and shared with my husband, my friends, my psychiatrist. So that by the time I share it, it it doesn't feel like, oh my God, this is the first time I'm sharing this intimate thing ever. I've I've kind of like, um, I've focus grouped in it. (laughs) I focus grouped in, 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 in my own life. And so by the time I share it, maybe like, 65 to 80 percent of the shame or the stigma or the fear of being judged is taken away and then what i've also found is that vulnerability breeds vulnerability that i've I've, i haven't seen yet a downside to just being honest that people people respond to honesty with you know their own their own honesty and and, and vulnerability. Yeah. So, yeah. but I think that that there there are because there are stuff I could have talked about in the book that like I haven't fully processed. You have a bully thing. There's this thing that you do in in the book that I've never seen in a book, which is that you have a musical written on the page, which I was laughing my ass off. And then I look on your website. Oh yeah, RachelDoesStuff.com, and then you have for free for people to download the music version of it. And I'll I'll just play a clip so people can. Can hear it. Adolescent Rachel Bloom enters. She wears her entire I'd rather be rehearsing ensemble. Hi, I'm older now. That's still what I want to do. I don't care if it makes me strange. That's what we want to do. And shoot us in the head if our ambition should 
The dumb fuck bully chorus, aka the Gaskins, enter. They mock both Rachels. Fuck you, you stupid freaks. We're back from part one. Fuck you, you freaky Broadway freaks. On the count of three, you'll be shunned. Three. <laughs> I love, I love when it goes to the count of the three. You'll be shunned. Three. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, they don't they don't really want to count to three. <laughs> they just want to say three. This is a thing called the slow round uh, that we do on the show. Okay, and it's great. just sort of prompts or memories, things. Uh, do you have a memory from your childhood that sort of is on a loop in, in your brain? Um, one of my earliest memories is busting out of my stroller in, <laughs> in the local, it wasn't, it's now a CVS, but he speaks a save-on. I remember busting out of my stroller in a save-on. And I know it's a real memory because my mom hasn't like brought it up. There's no video of it. I just, yeah. I have this fleeting memory of, I think, unbuckling like a stroller, like, you know, those typical umbrella strollers. Sure. And it was low to the ground, so I could get, it wasn't one of those things where it's like raised now. It was just, and I just remember unbuckling it and running and and my mom being like, Rachel? Like, I, I remember that. Wow. And that's, of course, the great metaphor for your career. Yes. Rachel? <laughs> and steal, stealing, stealing a bunch of Advil. <laughs> the theater community tried to, Tried to stick you in an umbrella stroller. And, I and you said, were like, no. I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm out of here. And everyone was like, Rachel? That's that's like, I think that's why that's actually so, imp- that sticks in my brain. Because, you know, like early memories, it's because we have like the emotions around them. Especially sure. like this feeling of shame or transgressing. So like I knew I'd done something wrong. But it wasn't like for a long, the longest time I had this urge to rebel, but then also a huge fear of authority yeah, and a fear of doing something wrong. And the two were like completely at odds. Like I would rebel and then be like, oh my God, did I fuck up? I was never one of those just like rebel and be like, fuck the man. Like I would always do something that felt emotionally right. And then like my logical side that was afraid of backlash would come in. And it's only recently that I've learned to marry those two. So the idea of busting out of the stroller, knowing it was wrong, feeling the shame of getting yelled at, but still being like, I got to run around this save on. Yeah. I got to knock over some brooms. Yeah. 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 That's exactly. Yeah. I love that. Um, okay. What, what's a story that, you tell your friends, and you don't have to name names, but you don't tell in your book or on stage or anything. Oh, my God. Um, oh, a goat. I mean, a go-to story I, I don't talk about in the book. I've, I've said it in maybe one interview, but I tell this a lot to friends is um, my family and I, my parents and my grandparents, we were eating a restaurant on, I remember it was Mother's Day. It was a, and, and mothers ate there for free. We were eating there on this restaurant <laughs> for Mother's Day. And I remember it was called the Golden Goose. And I don't know if it's still there, but it's in El Segundo, California. And we were having a good time. And I remember this woman comes up to the table and puts something in my father's hand and goes, this is for you. And I remember she was wearing a a really bad hat. She was wearing like a an oversized, like like bad Kentucky Derby-ish hat. And she had a terrible face. Yeah, yeah. She had like a terrible demon pig face. And the thing she handed my dad was a note on, written on a napkin 
saying, uh, sitting next to you and your family was one of the worst dining experiences of my life. Oh my gosh, no. You are loud. No, no. And annoying. No. And I sincerely hope you take care of your gas problem. No. Yes, sincerely, good meal ruined. Sincerely, good meal ruined That's is how a she weird signed twist. It. And Sincerely, I, good uh, meal ruined? Yeah, and so um, we're at, we're decompressing after, and like, I read the note. I felt such shame. Um, and I remember my <laughs> my uh, grandpa was like, "I was the one who was farting." Oh my and god! Then, but then my dad was like, "I farted," and then I went, "I was oh, the one farting." Oh so my we god. all really you were can- farting at that. <laughs> that story is amazing. And I just remember, I remember we went to Disneyland afterwards because we had a year-long pass to Disneyland at the time. And I remember taking the note. I was like, can I have the note? And I held it in my hand and I threw it away in a Disneyland garbage can. Stepping away from my conversation with the great Rachel Bloom to send a shout out to our friends at Helix Mattresses. I love my Helix mattress. You know who else does? My daughter, Una. She says, Dad, I want to sweep on the Helix. It's uh, my my wife loves it. Our in-laws love it. They ordered one. Uh, You go on the helixsleep.com site. You fill out a quiz. Uh, to match yourself to the right mattress, and you get the most comfortable mattress that Mike Birbiglia has ever slept on. An exciting thing is that they were awarded number one best overall mattress of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. They have free shipping, a 10-year warranty. Right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash now back to the show. Okay, so the next question is, what do you think people like and dislike about you? I think people like that I'm honest and try not to like pretend to be something that I'm not and that I'm earnest. Um mm-hmm. And I think the thing that people dislike about me is the same thing that people like, which is like sometimes the earnestness is too much. And sometimes I'm just like a little too like blah, 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 I relate to that so much. Yeah. I Because I because I, I, I asked myself this question. It was actually, it's in Mary Carr's book, The Art of Memoir, which is an amazing book. If people are interested in reading a book about writing uh, autobiographical stuff. And and it's a question she asks her writing students. And when I first read it, I thought the thing people like about me is essentially what you're saying, which is like I'm very I'm very sort of positive and upbeat and supportive generally of other people. And then uh, what they don't like about me is uh, sometimes that's really annoying. Yeah, I think that there's I think that there is a fine line with like earnestness and being too much. And I think that that line is like depends on opinion that that, and I'm and I'm basing this off of what I surmise, but also like Internet comments. 
Yeah, but you know? that's not that's not fair to yourself. You can't count that. But can can Rachel? Can I? I'm sorry to cut you off. Yeah. But uh, can you think of an instance where in your real life, not like the internet, can you think of an instance where <laughs> your earnestness was too overbearing to people in your life? Oh yes. Okay. I was working at a restaurant in New York. Um, a fancy restaurant that shall go nameless because in the book I talk about the secret second kitchen that they had that I had learned to cover up, which is 100% true. And a lot of restaurants, a lot of restaurants have a secret kitchen. So I was working at this restaurant. We got a lot of tourists. And um, there there would be tourists who would come and who would not necessarily know it was a fancy restaurant. And Mm -hmm. I kind of hated the fact I was working at like a super fancy restaurant. This was a place where like literally you had to wear a jacket. We had jackets that we would loan to people. Just not, not my type, not my speed at all, but somehow I ended up working there. Oh my God. So whenever I've been, I've been, by the way, I've, I've been loaned the jackets at the fancy restaurants before because I'm not a fancy dressing person. And it is a very demoralizing moment. And they're gross. They're never washed. It's yeah, yeah. they're they're in the coat closet along with like everyone else's like shit oh, and their umbrellas and stuff. It's it's fucking gross. So I was at the front desk and I think some tourists came in who were clearly not super rich and they were from France. And I speak a little French and I was speaking French to them. And meanwhile, I was ignoring like an actual reservation phone call coming in because I wanted to help these tourists like earnestly. So they leave, and the girl who was with me, who was just, like, uh, really mean in general, was like, you know, you have a thing where you really like the underdog. Um, oh, my god! But you're not actually doing <laughs> your job. Oh, she my goes, god! She goes, you don't work for the United Nations, okay? You're not a diplomat. Oh, my God. Your no. job is to, like, serve the people who are calling, not, like, random tourists who aren't going to give us money. Wait a minute. Yeah. I mean, look, she was right. Wait, that was did she outrank you? She was technically training me, although we earned the same amount of money. That is a that's a wild character. You you have to write that character into something someday. Yeah, no, I've tried to take the character. There are a couple of there are a couple of of people I met working that job. Um, because then she she was also really unhappy. She got fired because she got drunk at work. So she was, she got fired and she was drunk at work and she like spilled a drink on a patron. It was like, oh, you're instantly fired. So she was a very, very pent up and unhappy person. The the restaurant in general had a very dark, gloomy vibe, despite the fact it was like beautiful and it had like a beautiful view. Um, I have, I have this memory from waiting tables when I was in college where, I was working like a late night shift when the restaurant sort of became a bar. And people were drunk. Mm-hmm. And I was like, tr- I was like, try, it's called the tombs. I was like trying to like, I was like, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me. Someone's head flipped back from laughing at a joke really hard. And it headbutted my forehead oh. and knocked me unconscious. Oh my God. And then I was awo- woken up by my manager, Danny. And, uh, and, uh, and he sort of like, sent me home, whatever, cut, cut me. And, and I always, that's one of my memories on a loop. I always think about is like this weird, like being knocked unconscious while waiting tables at work. That's really and, weird. And, uh, but you know, in hindsight, cause so many of these things you look back and you go, why do I remember that? Why is that significant? And I think it's weird because they just let me leave 
and walk <laughs> home. Like no one walked me home or made sure I was okay and didn't walk into traffic by accident. <laughs> right. Like, like it's this weird thing where you start to look back on your life sometimes, or at least I am, I'm developing this new show, the YMCA pool. And it's like, you sort of look back and go like, people are really selfish. Like, like my manager didn't give a shit about me. You know, like the people around me, like, were like, yeah, 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 yeah. You got knocked unconscious. You should head home kind of thing. Oh, yeah. People are fundamentally, I think that's what takes the burden off of like everyone's talking about me and everyone's making fun of me. For the most part, people are really just thinking about themselves yeah, and how to right. get through a day. No, no one, no one's ever thinking about you or even judging you. Maybe they're passively judging you and it's for a moment, but like if you think the entire world is fixated on like fucking you over, you don't realize <laughs> you don't realize how fundamentally like selfish yeah. and biased everyone is. I was when I was at that same restaurant, there was a, another tourist family that was like at the desk asking me for something. And I was helping them and then I remember this. I banged my knee really hard. No, I think I fell. I fell on the ground and I banged my knee and I went, ah, oh, oh God. Oh, oh, like I was like, and, and I look up and they're like, so do you have uh, the number? They, oh no. They, they, they no. just no. truly didn't fucking care. Do you have the number? Yeah. And I'm making them Italian just because like, I assume that they were, um, Italian. Um, sure. we got a lot of Italian tours, but like it was, wow. Yeah, people are just, that's why, like, I think I also have empathy towards people because for the most part, I don't, no one's consciously trying to be a villain or, or fuck someone right. over. They're just living their lives with their yeah. biases and mostly thinking about themselves and their own shit. Are we, tell me this, were you a good, are, were you a good waiter? I think I was good. I think that for whatever I lacked in skill, I made up for in person, like being personable, because I did have yeah. a thing where like I would go to sleep and then be like, oh, I never got that guy's pepper. Oh. I, I would always remember something right before going going to sleep like that. But I think I, what I lacked in maybe sometimes being flighty, I made up for in sheer charisma. <laughs> yes, I believe that. <laughs> I was a pretty, I was pretty, I was a pretty good because I'm eager to please and I'm afraid of people being mad at me, which is perfect for customer service in this country when you believe the customer is always right. For me, uh, because of also a lack of self-esteem, it's like the customer is always right, I, which which yes. kind of means I'm fundamentally wrong Yes. at, at, all, at all times, yes. which they don't have in other countries. If you get weighted on other countries, they're like, here's your croissant, fuck you. Like I'll be yes. back in three hours if you want a glass of water. Stepping away from my conversation with Rachel Bloom to send a shout out to our sponsor, Me Undies Underwear. I called these folks at Me Undies to be a sponsor on this show because I wear Me Undies all the time based on, wait for it, listening to podcast ads like this one. So, yeah, it's all connected. Uh, it's super comfortable. They do a really unique thing that I love called the Me Undies membership uh, each month. If you sign up, you can replenish your basics, uh, styles that let you be the truest version of yourself, plus enjoy discounted pricing, 
controlled shipping, exclusive early access. Right now, MeUndies has a great offer for Working It Out listeners. First-time purchasers get 15% off plus free shipping. If you're not satisfied, you can refund or exchange it. No questions asked. MeUndies.com slash Burbigs. And now back to the show. I wasn't planning to pitch this to you. Okay. And, and the pitch might be uh, really half-baked, but I'm just sort of curious, like, how it strikes you. Is like, So I had this idea for a musical a few years ago because I did the new one on Broadway, and my takeaway from it was, you know, being a fan of musicals and someone who can write plays and, and write shows and, and can perform, I would love to write a musical where I take pieces from uh, my different albums and specials over the year from my girlfriend's boyfriend and thank God for jokes and the new one uh, and sleepwalk with me. And I string them together as musical numbers. And the thing that the missing ingredient from it that I think could be fascinating would be that, that my wife, Jen, who is an introverted poet and who would never get on stage (laughs) for something like this in a million years um, a lot of her thoughts and writing and, and, you know, as a, as a character, she runs all the way through it. And, and I had this thought, which is that there's, it's a three person musical and it's, and it's me monologuing at the, at the, at the top. And then about 10 minutes in, uh, a pianist starts playing under what's happening. And about 10 minutes after that, the Jen character comes in. And that's what I feel like if you'd be uh, entertaining the idea of that. And the idea would be that that you would sing these numbers that we play all the way through and that um, and that I would speak them. Uh-huh. And they would be sort of speak, sing, comedic duets. And I think that the payoff of it could be that my character keeps saying, like, like I, I don't sing. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately, at the end, I would, I mean, I'd really have to get trained and learn how to sing so that we would actually have, the, the show would end in a, in, a, in a bonafide duet. That's literally what I was going to, I was hoping that you'd say. I think that's a great idea. I think that's really, you were telling me about something you were working on with Jack Antonoff, and I was really excited about it. Yeah, so two summers ago, I was working out material for my next show and he and I were having, he and I have lunch every week and, and he noticed that this poem that Jen had written would make good lyrics for a song. And then I told him about this song that I, that I sometimes sing to our daughter because she hates to sleep. And I go like, she hates to sleep and we don't know why. She hates to sleep because she hates goodbyes. And he was like, that's a really nice chorus. And then he, like, we went back to his apartment and he started playing it on piano. And he, you know, and then he was using Jen's lyrics as the verse. And then, uh, and then she, and then we would go, and then she hates to sleep, and we don't know why. She hates to sleep because she hates goodbyes. Doom, doom, boom, boom, da 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 da. And it was really nice. And then we've just, we just went up on stage at Cherry Lane at my Working It Out shows, and we just like played, like, 
a piano version of Please Stop the Ride, which is uh, from my girlfriend's boyfriend. It's a story about me throwing up on a scrambler with a girl I had a crush on in seventh grade. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and it really felt like something. And so we're, it's, it's, I mean, literally me talking to you right now is, it, that's it. That's all I think, we have. But I think that's really, really cool. And I think that, because it, it makes sense, you, it's almost like you're revisiting your past work and then exploring a different side of it, which is the the musical side. And I think that, like, my thought is like, almost as a, I, I don't know if it's the structure, maybe, maybe a kind of superstructure of it is like, why do you feel that the emotional part of you, which is almost the music, is separate from the, like, it, it seems like there's a separation yes. between head and heart. Oh my gosh, yes, 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 and, that's right. And that being a kind of, like, uh, that being the structure to, like, hang all the monologues going into songs all. Because what, what you're talking about is if you didn't, have the monologues actually you're describing a form called a song cycle okay. which um uh there's this jason robert brown show songs for a new world that's a song cycle um there's this song cycle called i think it's first a first lady the first lady suite um and basically it's when musical it's when it's when composers just kind of want to do a series of songs about a topic but like there's no plot through line sure so it's sure. almost like you're doing elements of a song cycle but there is kind of a through line but it's almost like more of like a thematic like nothing plot wise happens it's more of just like a thematic through line i think that's really cool i think there may end up being a plot line that that emerges but i think like just to paraphrase the the scrambler story but it's basically this story from girlfriend's boyfriend where i'm i have a crush on this girl uh, Lisa Bazzetti, fake name, and and I invite her to go to carnival, and we go to the carnival, and I and I go on the scrambler with her, and 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 it's it's basically if people aren't familiar, it's you know it's like a circle inside of a circle inside of a circle inside of a circle. So I'm going around, and I'm like, and I you know we start scrambling, and we're scrambling and scrambling, and it occurs to me like, oh no, I'm going to throw up. Like, this is going to be very bad. But the premise of a scrambler is that you really only can interact with the scrambler operator like one one eighth or one tenth of the time. You know, so you're going around, 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 and then you have like one moment where you're like, please stop the ride, and then I'm back, scrambling, 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 please stop the ride, and then I'm back, this is scrambling, scrambling. But I thought, um, when Jack and I were kicking this around, this idea of like, if the show is called Please Stop the Ride, it becomes this interesting metaphor for life, which is to say that, like, so much of my comedy, a majority of it, a majority of yours from the book and even from Crazy X is based in things that were painful at the time you experienced them. But then through the lens of comedy and experience, you're able to process them. And and that you actually feel joy and laughter in the future of them. And and that the end of the show is basically like you can't stop the ride, like that that life is the ride, mm-hmm. and that that we sh- and and that all all you can do is is try to enjoy the ride while you're on the ride, you know, like that's and that's sort of where it lands. That's really beautiful, and I think that the way to intersect that too with music is like a lot of people say, oh, I can't sing, I'm not, I'm not. Um, I'm not that person. I'm not going to burst into song because sure. there's almost a shame of the emotion that it takes to burst into song and and of the the unironic 
emotion that it takes to like earnestly sing a song. I, yeah, I sidestep this all the time by doing comedy songs. There's at sometimes. Go, meanwhile, you have a gorgeous voice. Oh I mean, my come god! On. Oh my god! What <laughs> this? No. Um, <laughs> I, so I I like that idea of the ride is also like the the moment and the the earnestness of whatever you're going through in the moment and just like don't comment on the moment as it's happening stepping away from my conversation with rachel bloom to send a shout out to a new sponsor this is Monk Pack. They make keto-friendly granola bars that contain two grams of net carbs, and they're only 140 calories. They're great for people like me who are trying to cut back on sugar and carbs. I am a convert. I was a little skeptical at the outset, but then I, I ate some. They're delicious. They're healthy. Try yourself and you'll see. We have a special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting Monk pack.com that's m-u-n-k-p-a-c-k.com select any product enter the code burbigs at checkout to save 20 percent off your purchase monkpack.com code burbigs and now back to the show i think that there's a thing right now where and I don't know if you're experiencing this, where things are so bleak and they're so sad that that I feel like when I come back with something, I want us, I want, I want it to be the be all, end all of entertaining the fuck out of the crowd. You know what I mean? So this is really interesting because I have an idea for something that is kind of the opposite, like this, but but the two have a lot of similarities. So before COVID happened, I was planning my a special, like my first yeah. filmed. Uh, it would be stand-up into music special. And I would, I would say sure. it's like, you know, 30% like spoken stand-up stories going into like 70% songs. And then the world stopped. And yeah. I had a baby and she was in the NICU and my friend died. And, it, and, and I was facing death and the inevitability of death and my own beliefs about death for the first time that in, in a long time. Because I became an atheist maybe like 12 years ago, and it was this huge revelation that I had. And since then, I hadn't really thought about, I don't know, those those big existential questions a lot. Yeah. Um, and so what, I, what I'm actually like trying to think about and pitch and, and is, a, is a, a special called Death, Let Me Do My Special, oh my where gosh. I start doing the special that I was planning to do. Like, I yeah. open it with the song, and then I get heckled by death. And death. Oh, would, I love that. Yeah, and death would either be played by myself, like, I don't know if it's played by myself or another person, but basically it's me trying to do the special, but death being insulted. Keeps showing that up, I don't, yeah. That I don't, first of all, it's death trying to take the spotlight and then being insulted that I don't acknowledge her more. Oh, like, how dare you pretend wow. that I'm not here and do yeah, these yeah. stupid fucking songs? Um, and then the thing that I'm kind of the the structure that I'm still thinking about is how much do I then like? I think what starts to happen is like at first I try to just do the special that I wanted to do, and then death keeps cutting in, and then at a certain point the content of the stand up and the songs that I'm doing becomes about death. 
Right. Like, as she starts to, like, infect the special. So that's, like, I... It's so funny you pitched this because, like, I'm working on a... Almost the, the opposite of how do we get back to normal when a lot of us have been faced with with this, not only this huge hardship, but like a hardship that represents what history has mostly been and like what the experience of our ancestors has mostly been, which is like fear and plagues and how do you maintain hope in the midst of hopelessness? Yeah, it's interesting you should say that because, yeah, the the two shows that I've been working on for the last couple of years are this Please Stop the Ride idea and then the other one I, I, I mentioned earlier is called YMCA Pool. Mm-hmm. And literally, the YMCA Pool show is all about death. I mean, it's all about, I mean, I'm age, you know, I'm turning 42. And, you know, I've had cancer. I have a sleepwalking disorder. I've, you know, I've, I've so many issues. But I think, like, I, I'm excited about your show idea. I'm excited about YMCA Pool, too, because I feel like if you can go, as a comedian, I feel like a lot of your comedy does this, if you can go to the darkest places and you can find comedy in the darkest places, I think that there's healing that occurs there. Yes, and there's a quote I read somewhere by, I think it's Christopher Hitchens, who I have mixed feelings about because he also said that women weren't funny. Um, but that's right. a whole other thing. But he said something otherwise profound, which is that, I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't have the quote in front of me, but like basically comedy is is the way that we, for the moment, like beat death. Laughing, yes. laughing, laughing death in the face is the way, like death is always going to win no matter what. Yeah. But, but comedy is the way that we, for a moment, like trick ourselves into feeling um, yes. like we've beaten it and feeling normal. And I got to say, after when my daughter's in the NICU, even after we took her home and then Adam died, the thing that helped me was just like funny movies and funny podcasts. Like not to, because the existential crisis and the thinking about death and the the worrying about the lives of of myself and everyone I hold dear, that was always going to be there. I didn't need to like sit and mull it over or write about it. What I needed to do was like balance it out with some fucking escapism and some, I don't know, like dopamine or, or whatever the chemical is that comes from laughing. And yeah. I just like listened to silly podcasts. Yeah. And it it saved me and it brought me back to this state of normalcy, which unfortunately is the ignoring the fact that death is coming for us all. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. I'm calling up the document right now of Please Stop the Ride, which I literally was not planning to 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 talk about because I've, you know how proprietary we all are over ideas and we're like, we don't want to tell people because- Oh yeah, I haven't told anyone about the it. death, let me do my special thing, but I'm like, I mean, is someone going to steal that from like something right, I said exactly. on a podcast? Like I'll just use this podcast as proof that it was my idea. <laughs> right, exactly. So I wrote, um, so I wrote this idea that I come out on stage, sort of like simple stage and I say, so I'm a comedian, uh, which is the perfect job to take my own pain and convert it into comedy because comedy uh, starts as pain. Mm. But, but I'm, I'm reaching the age of 42 and I'm starting to come to grips with this idea that if I'm a comedian and I know how to convert pain into comedy, how come I can't stop the pain? 
And, and then I go, I'll give you an example. When I was in seventh grade, people started making out with each other. And I was so shocked by this. And I, I, there's, I there's this girl I was, I have a crush on named Lisa Bazzetti. And then I go into the police stop the ride thing. Right. Yeah. And, and then, uh, and then Jack, and then theoretically Jack walks on stage at that point and just starts playing piano <laughs> and, and, uh, and just starts, uh, I don't know why I wrote this, Rachel. I swear to God, you know, mm-hmm. you write things in a notebook and you go, "What? The, I don't know <laughs> yeah, what the yeah. fuck this means. I wrote, Jack enters and plays a riff of the Phil Collins song, Take a Look at Me Now. <laughs> Great. And then I go, oh, this is my friend Jack. And I go, he's my best friend. And he goes, I'm not your best friend. <laughs> and I go, okay, he's not my best friend. But I'm at this stage in my life where even if I see someone once a week, I'm going to call them my best friend. And so then he starts playing underneath this. Anyway, I've always envied Jack because he can sing and play piano. And musicals make things more emotional. And then Jack sings. I obviously have no voice, but I go, music makes things more emotional. And and, and then I go, and I can't sing. And then he goes like, but music makes things more emotional. And I go, and I wish I could sing. And then it's it's sort of that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's almost like um, in chorus line, I can never really sing. It's it's that kind yes. of is what you're doing. It's, a, that, it's, a, it's so funny you should say that. I wrote talk sing in French. What, what I thought, it's funny. I think some, because someplace you could take it is that if he's kind of you, again, outsourcing the part of yourself that wants to be emotional, but it is afraid to, at a certain point, you could be like, and I really, because this is a musical, I should be singing my intro right now. So, but Jack, take it. And just, he's like, and if, then if Jack was like, my name is Mike, I'm 42 <laughs> and I'm a comedian. My wife is a poet. I got a daughter. You know? Oh my God. That's so good. Oh, I love that. Good. Take it. No, that's so good. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's it in a nutshell. I mean, I think that's a good place to wrap up. I mean, I think this could be the beginning of We Make a Thing. I mean, it takes years, as you know, it takes years to make musicals. It doesn't have to, though. The The whole thing is, it's a little bit of like, um, there's a little bit of like kabuki theater going on where like you're going through the motions because it's like what you're, it, it's uh, traditional and there are certain things that you do and there are certain poses because it's a representation of what the thing is. But like, yeah, you could also just make a thing and put it put it up somewhere. I guess the idea is just that we have this three-hander musical and we just like go to town. I love it. I'm really down to work on this. All right, awesome. I'm I'm, I'm so excited. So- the last thing uh, we do is a, a thing called working it out for a cause. It's just I give to a nonprofit that you think is doing a good job right now. And then we'll link to it in the show notes. And if you have to take a minute and look something up or Google it, by all means. Um. Oh, God. Um. There are so many. I- I'm going to like, I'm going to say Feeding America. Um, yeah, feed, they're great. In honor, actually, of Adam Schlesinger because I was um, – I was like, I wanted to uh, donate a place in Adam's name and and his family like was like feeding America because people really need food <laughs> right now. And Adam yeah. was all about like feeding people, which he was. Aww. He was this amazing cook. And um, like you'd come over to his house and he would just make like amazing steak for you. And, and so I think that there are aces in my book right now. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, so we'll give to them and we'll link to them in the show notes. And that's such a beautiful s- sentiment for Adam. And, um, and thanks Rachel, uh, for being a part of this. This is a really 
<laughs> this took many unexpected turns. It did. And I got to say, like, oh, my God, next time I'll have a thing to work out. But this did feel like working something out. The next time, I think maybe we'll work on another section of maybe Please Stop the Ride. I'm from down with that. Or 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 the death special. Yeah. Um. Either one. Either one. Okay, great. Working it out because it's not done. Working it out because there's no Wow, that's going to do it for another episode of Working It Out. You can pick up Rachel Bloom's book, I Want to Be Where the Normal People Are, at your local bookstores. Support your local bookstore right now, as well as your local food bank, as Rachel mentioned. Um, You can watch her series, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, on Netflix. You can binge that now. It is very uplifting and fun and, and silly. And uh, this is a really fun episode today. It felt very momentous. It felt like we were we in real time sort of coming up with, huh, maybe we're going to collaborate on, on this musical. Who knows? Oh, one other thing is uh, if you're enjoying the Working It Out podcast, uh, please do us a favor and put uh, five stars or uh, we like it or a comment or whatever to try to tell the world that you enjoy working it out. We are having a blast with it. Also, you can join us at Working It Out Virtually Valentine's Weekend. We have three shows that are for sale on Burbigs.com. Our show is produced by myself along with Peter Salamone and Joseph Burbiglia, consulting producer Seth Barish, sound mix by Kate Belinsky, assistant editor Mabel Lewis. Special thanks to my consigliere Mike Berkowitz as well as Marissa Hurwitz and Josh Upfall. Special thanks always to Jack Antonoff for our music and maybe in the future our musical. As always, a special thanks to my wife, the great J-Hope Stein. Our book, The New One, is also curbside at your local bookstore. And special thanks to my daughter, Una, who helped me create our radio fort, which now includes <laughs> these <laughs> odd uh, foam panels. Uh, thanks to everyone, most of all, you who listened. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. We are... We are working it out. For real. That's what we're doing. See you next time.